It's taken years and years. Everyone's blessed with one special thing. Thousands of listener requests for more local programming on the weekends on 710 ESPN. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. And more cam bros on the radio. You all know exactly who I am. Say my name. And now, after hosting the popular late night happy hour on Twitter during the pandemic. So so successful was the late night happy hour that we already have a spinoff. You You get to do it on actual radio. We've given the people what they wanted. Say my name. The Kamenetsky brothers have their own show. The Saturday morning happy hour with Andy and Brian Kamenetsky. The Camrose. Oh, what a day. What a lovely day. It's fun. It's smart. It's the most fun you can have on a Saturday morning. Um, actually, pretty nice little Saturday. Time for your Saturday morning happy hour. Right, right now. now. Seven ten ESPN Saturday morning happy hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Uh, and, uh, Andy, how are you? It's, we're back on Saturdays. It's exciting. Very, very exciting. We've extended the brand. It's, it's taken very little time for us to extend the brand of the late night happy hour, the show we've been doing Monday through Friday, um, 10 to 11. Uh, you can find it on Periscope, find it on the station's Twitter feed. And in short order, we have a spinoff. Dude, we are taking over. In the last couple of months, yep. it's uh, it really is quite impressive uh, when, all when it, you break it down that way. Uh, all it took was a so, worldwide pandemic, Brian, yep, for you and I to finally it. find our niche. Just a little bit of global trauma. That's all, that's all it requires. <laughs> yeah, and we just we just swooped right in there. We kind of just we we made our way um, and we took advantage. And kudos to us. For never letting uh, a crisis go um, unexploited. A lot to do today. Uh, a big show. Uh, we're here until 11 o'clock at 10 o'clock. Uh, senior NBA writer from the undefeated Mark Spears is going to join us. We'll ta- talk a little bit about the NBA's restart and uh, what's going on right now with the NFL. Uh, Bao Win, the director of Be Water, the Bruce Lee documentary that premieres tomorrow, I believe, on ESPN. Correct, Andy? 30 for 30? Yep. Uh, it's the latest 30 for 30 on the heels of The Last Dance and Lance. And telling people right now, the buzz in particular on Be Water has been phenomenal. The reviews have yep. been phenomenal. Like, And it's Bruce Lee. And, you know, th- this is a story that people, I think, they know about broadly, but they don't know everything that Bruce Lee encompassed in terms of what he meant to people and what he meant to Hollywood, what he meant to Asian Americans all across this country, you know, Asians all over the world. So, I mean, it's going to be one hell of a documentary. Uh, Clinton Yates at 1045. So those uh, really, really busy 10 o'clock hour, particularly. Uh, but we, we got to start, Andy, with what's going on in the NFL, because what we've seen in the last 24, 36 hours or whatever it might be with the NFL, I I, mean, I, I am stunned. It is, it, it, we kind of throw around words like that, but this is as stunning a turnaround in the stance of a league towards its players as I have seen. 
if if you missed the news, basically it was Thursday evening. I think it was the the players led by Michael Thomas, the receiver for the Saints, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Deshaun Watson, Odell Beckham Jr. They release a video, a uh, very powerful video about police brutality and social justice, and talking to Roger Goodell and the league, making some demands. And what they asked for are three things. One, condemn racism and systematic oppression of black people. Two, admit silencing players uh, from uh, from protest. And three, to acknowledge that black lives matter. It wasn't 24 hours later that the NFL and Roger Goodell responded, basically talking verbatim one and three. We condemn racism and systematic oppression of black people. Um, that black lives matter. And about as close to number two... Supporting the, the right of protest as you can. And, and they basically did a 180 on player protest. Say they support play a peaceful protest. Andy, going forward, this is a, this is a massive shift in how the NFL is approaching this. Yeah. First of all, I think it's, it's worth noting. And there's a great piece on the athletic by Jordan Rodrigue about the, uh, the lead up to this and the details of how this video by the players ended up happening. Some of the creators included NFL video producer mm-hmm. Brendan Minter, like somebody who's worked for the league now for three years. So beyond the fact that you had players, you know, you could call this an insurrection, you know, a, a rebellion, forcing the league to the table on their terms. They actually involved league employees with this. And Minter told The Athletic that, He understood that he could lose his job by helping Michael Thomas, who spearheaded this whole thing, but he was good with that. He said, quote, I was at peace the whole time. I think if I wasn't at peace to lose my job, I wouldn't have wanted to go out on a limb like that, but I was at peace and I still am at peace. And I mean, the, the idea that this would involve other league sources beyond just the players, it's unprecedented. I also thought, Brian, if you watch this video from Goodell and it's, According to uh, Jordan Rodriguez from The Athletic, it's filmed in his basement. And it looked like the same basement that we saw some of the uh, NFL draft. People, it's been a big, big, big stretch of time for basements. Yeah. A lot of people, uh, a lot of basements getting a lot of play these days. And it, yes, it's, it's a big time for basements. And in particular, Roger Goodell's basement. And it's fitting that it was filmed in a basement because it actually looked like he was part of a hostage video. The way, the way Goodell is reading this into the camera, it's like he's reading a list of demands put on himself yeah. by his captain. I mean, I, I know what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I, I, I want, I, I want, the only thing I would push back on a little bit is when you say it like that, it makes it seem like it's not sincere. I, well, no, um, here's the I, thing. I, I don't, but we don't know. We don't know. We don't, we don't know don't, yet. But it, I'll be, I'll be, I'm not sure at this point. If it doesn't, it, it, it only matters if it's sincere in some ways. If you want to be cynical about it, if the NFL backtracks, sure. On their, but but my on, my point, my point, my point isn't even though Brian to question the sincerity of Roger Goodell because we're going to learn that sincerity in time. Like right. we'll we'll eventually learn the sincerity of those statements over time. My point being though, he is literally in this situation. Reading the dialogue, reading the words of the people, you know, the sort of metaphorical captors, Michael Thomas, Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Ezekiel Elliott, 
you know, uh, Saquon Barkley down the line. These players telling him what to say. This is what we need to hear. And I don't mean it as a hostage video, like in the most literal sense. It just felt like really somebody surrendering. You know, it felt well, like that, the- that part is true. That part is 100. And if you look and, at it, the and that shift of power dynamic is, yeah, it is remarkable. The NFL has spent what the last two or three years, two or three seasons trying to get people to stop talking about Colin Kaepernick, trying to get people to not pay attention to the, the question of kneeling and move past. And like, if you look at it, like, you know, it would, it would pop up here and there and people would quietly kind of look and be like, nobody's actually doing it. There's like one guy in Miami who was kneeling and one, nobody was doing it. that wave that we saw three or four seasons ago. Um, it wasn't there anymore. You know, even the Kaepernick issue himself of just is Colin Kaepernick going to be back in the league? And he wasn't something that, because every year that goes by, it's easier for people just to say, okay, well, he's been out for so long. Even people who support Kaepernick can be like, well, he's been out for so long, it's just harder to get back in, harder and harder. Who's going to give him a job? In When Drew Brees this week goes on Yahoo Finance, like of all the places, like you're Roger Goodell, you wake up in the morning and you see that news is being made and like your league is being, you know, just thrown right back into the headlines for reasons you don't want because you're, a quarterback did an interview for Yahoo freaking finance. That couldn't have been a good day. But Drew Brees throws that issue right back out in front in the middle of the George Floyd protests as you see players, uh, in every sport deeply involved in, in these, in these protests puts that flag issue that patriotism issue right back front and center the 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 president gets back involved all these things the nfl is right back in the center of it and they chose the players and they did it quickly whereas four years ago five years they went back and forth they kind of you know remember andy it was like we're going to stand up to the president and kneel as a group and lock arms and all that. But as soon as that's over, you know, we want out of this. We don't, our owners are are sort of small C conservative. Our fan base is small C conservative. We don't want anything to do with any of this stuff and let's make it go away. And this time they put in with the players and they did it fast. And there is no going back from that. No, I mean, we'll get into this over the course of the show, but ultimately what the league has proven yesterday with Roger Goodell's statement and the way they clearly bent to the will of the players and vicariously to the will of Colin Kaepernick is they could have saved themselves a lot of headaches by just doing this four years ago, by just doing this from the beginning and backing their players. They could have ultimately saved themselves a lot of headaches to land at the place where they were ultimately going to anyway. Well, it's I mean, it's pretty it, amazing. It's pretty amazing. I, is it a Garrett? But do you know that that's what I mean, we ultimately find that that's where we were going to be anyway? But it took an extraordinary set of circumstances to get there. It's six months ago, you'd have said you could have absolutely credibly argued that the NFL. You know what? They kind of made this issue go away. Players aren't happy about it, uh, but you know they're not the center of the culture war anymore. The you know, the Colin Kaepernick okay. isn't in the league anymore. The the players, but aren't they, but, but here's the thing, battling. Sure, but they, but they knew, 
The players knew. The NFL knew. Everybody knew that this could eventually come back up again. And we know this because Jerry Jones, in his deposition about the Colin Kaepernick uh, uh, collusion case, said that he was told by the president, he and President Trump have a relationship, that this is a wedge issue for him. And this is something that he sees as political capital. And he said, quote, a winning issue for him. So you know that this could come up again. And you know that it likely will come back up again because it's something that the president sees as a winning issue for him. Strategically, forget the politics of it. Forget how you feel about it, who you think is on the right side of it. I'm just saying from a pure strategical standpoint, they should have anticipated this will come up again because it's something the president wants to come up again. So you have to anticipate being in this battle again because in 2016, when it began, that was not the first time you ended up in this. So ultimately, they should have realized this is not going away. It's not going to go away. So we should be strategic ourselves and figure out a way to stop battling our own labor on this. So, That's, yeah, they I, should have they should have seen it coming because I, I know I did. And those guys are all supposed to be smarter about this than me. Well, you are genuinely dumb. And so that's my point. That That is my point. That is a compelling argument. I can't I'm an idiot, and I saw it coming. You you talk about labor, Andy, and and the the contract, that is a, it's a critical, it's a critical component of this, because Roger Goodell, I think, made a calculation here, and he was looking around the rest of the sports world when he did it. And we'll explain what we mean by that, uh, Next, it's the Saturday morning happy hour here on 710 ESPN. This is the Saturday morning happy hour on 710 ESPN. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back with the Cambros. Ryan Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, Saturday morning happy hour. Um, here with you until 11 o'clock. Mark Spears is going to join us, senior NBA writer at the Undefeated. In about 40 minutes, top of the hour, 10 o'clock, top of the hour, that's radio talk, Andy. It is radio talk. Um, very, very radio on your AFM dial. All right. Um, it has been a stunning 36 hours in the NFL in terms of how the league is approaching uh, and will approach going forward social protest. Uh, ostensibly, players are going to be kneeling in the fall when they come back, uh, you know, uh, or whatever demonstrations that players want to be participating in. If you didn't hear... The, the the video that prompted this it's uh was organized by michael thomas the, the receiver for the saints Keyshawn's inclu- nephew Keyshawn's nephew that's right it includes shout out to Keyshawn. Um, it includes odell beckham uh ezekiel elliott uh deshaun watson pat mahomes it, it's worth listening to this is this was the thing that prompted that change it's been 10 days since george floyd was brutally murdered how many times we need to ask you to listen to your players. What will it take for one of us to be murdered by police brutality? What if I was George Floyd? If I was George Floyd? What if I was George Floyd? 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 I am George Floyd. I am Breonna Taylor. I am Ahmaud Arbery. I am Eric Gardner. I am Laquan McDonald. I am Tamir Rice. I am Trayvon Martin. I am Walter Scott. I am Michael Brown. I am Samuel Du Bois. I am Frank Smart. I'm Philip White. I'm Jordan Baker. We will not be silenced. We assert our right to peacefully protest. It shouldn't take this long to admit. So, 
on behalf of the National Football League, this is what we, the players, would like to hear you state. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit wrong and silencing our players from peacefully protesting. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. 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 So, Andy, obviously, it's a it's a powerful message from the players, and not very long later, you know, 12, 14, 24, whatever it was later, this was the response from Roger Goodell in the NFL. It has been a difficult time for our country, in particular, black people in our country. First, my condolences to the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and all the families who have endured police brutality. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much-needed change in this country. Without black players, there would be no National Football League. And the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence, inequality, and oppression of black players, coaches, fans, and staff. We are listening. I am listening. And I will be reaching out to players who have raised their voices and others on how we can improve and go forward for a better and more united NFL family. And so, Andy, when you hear Roger Goodell basically say, not totally verbatim, what the players said, this is what we want you to say, that, that is the NFL pulling a 180 and throwing themselves behind their players. And you hear why. Our league doesn't exist without our black players. Yeah. And also, too, we've reached a place where it is untenable to look like you are an adversary to your players, particularly in a league that has this high a population of black players. With where we are right now, I think, societally, and when you see the representation of different ethnicities, different backgrounds, all taking part in these protests, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not even trying to infer or imply that something as naive as we've achieved racial harmony through these protests because of that representation, because <laughs> yeah, not quite that sure. would be, yeah, that, that would that, be, I think that is not reflective of factors on the ground, right? That would be ridiculous. That being said, though, we have though reached a place where if you are battling your players on this, or you appear like you are resistant in any way to your players on this, you are actually bucking up against popular sentiment right now. Like, so on a lot of levels, even even taking into account that there's going to be parts of the NFL demographic that does not agree with the protests, are uncomfortable with the protests, that would that would see this statement from Roger Goodell as caving the PC culture, whatever. I think you are still at a place right now where looking at the whole, you cannot be seen that way publicly and certainly internally among your players. You right. cannot be seen as bucking up against this and being an adversary. 
and I think in, in, in there, there are two factors here. And the first one is, uh, let's, let's do this first because you talk about the, the messaging and whether people are going to be uncomfortable and the last sort of attempt at that of avoiding the issue was Drew Brees on Yahoo Finance, where he is asked about protests and, and he goes to, I will not disrespect the flag. And the outrage that he's, and I have never, we talked about this on the happy hour this week, Andy. I have never seen an athlete get crushed by other athletes in the way that Drew Brees was crushed. And it's not by teammates, by teammates, by like Michael, Michael Thomas, Malcolm Jenkins. These are guys on Drew Brees' team. Right. And you know, crushed. when I say on, and when I say on Drew Brees' team, I mean Drew Brees' team. Like literally, like that, they're members of the New Orleans Saints. Which by, right, but I mean, definitionally, when you are a member of the New Orleans Saints, you are a member of Drew right. Brees' team. Like, he's your quarterback. Yeah, right, quor- and he is... talking about your quarterback. He's the greatest Saint, I think, in franchise history. Like, if, if you had to narrow down the one guy right. who represents the Saints, it's Drew Brees. That's his team. And so... And Malcolm Jenkins is telling him, go F yourself. And it was Shut the, the F up. It's the, and it was what really outraged people was you're, you're going to do that again. You're going to turn it back into this thing where it's about the flag and no, 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 no. And you know, you've, you've had four years of people explaining this to you. It's not about, you can disagree. There's room for disagreement in the expression of the, of the protest, but don't be dishonest about it. And then the president jumps in and I, I think to his credit, Drew Brees pushes back and says, no. I am wrong about this. It is not about the flag. So that's step one where you get this pushback against the sort of the most common yeah, but of, of the, the Colin, Colin Kaepernick kneeling protest. The second part of it though, Andy, is you look around and, and you see where the NBA is right now. They're trying to get, it's complicated. You want to restart a league. You got to figure some stuff out. You got to figure out the rules, whatever. They've moved through this process in the NBA. Really well. Looks like games are going to start again on July 1st or July 31st and, and, and things are progressing very well. There's a high degree of trust that the league and the, and the players are acting as partners here. The other side of that is what's happening right now with baseball where they may not play a season and they can't even talk to each other. And I think Roger Goodell looked at this and said, I, we can either try to make ourselves more like the NBA or more yeah. like baseball. Because, you know, there's already a a pretty high lack of trust between players and ownership in the NFL just because of how that game is structured. And if he didn't do what he did, they're going the way of baseball and the the players union in baseball. Um, Only it's going to be worse because people care about their football more than they care about their baseball. Yeah, (laughs) baseball is treading in a very, very dangerous place. On a few levels, with uh, the relationship going on between the owners and the players, but I think in particular, what the owners are trying to do in terms of pushing uh, the prospect of a shorter season on the players, the way they went so far out of their way orchestrating a look for the players like they were being the greedy ones, like this was their fault. And, and try, I think to, it's come around and boom. a war between the rich players and the poor players. Right. And it's come, it has come around and boomeranged on the owners in baseball. And I think you're right that Roger Goodell likely took a look at 
the way the NBA is proceeding forward, the way baseball is proceeding forward, and said, which side of that spectrum do we want to be on? Especially knowing, too, like you said, that lack of trust that comes from non-guaranteed contracts, the lack of trust that comes from the specific issues that these protests countrywide are about that happens to be connected to our league. Like, Roger Goodell, I'm sure, took a look at the landscape right now and said, we don't want to be baseball. We want to be closer to the NBA. And I'll tell you, and look, you and I are not. We're, there are certain things that sort of we don't talk about on air in part because, you know, there are, there are guidelines and things. But you and I are not afraid to talk about stuff. No. Um, and I'm not afraid. I, I think the stick to sports thing is, is absurd. I don't think it was ever true. I think, you know, anything as important as sports uh, has social implications, always has, always will. All of that said, I am, the NFL is going to be right smack dab in the center of another culture war because, I mean, everything that we look around, like wearing a mask now is, is, is a part of a culture war now. Whether you're willing to do social distancing, um, you know, it used to be, you know, we would argue about gay marriage as part of the culture war. Now it's like wearing a mask in a pandemic. The NFL, because of this issue, and they knew this when they put out this statement, was putting themselves right back in the center of what is going to be a vicious, culture war in this country because there's an election going on and you know the pandemic and social unrest it's i am not looking i'm not looking forward to the nfl being in the center of this and this being part of the, like the, the dominant conversation around the league and the nfl isn't either but they did it anyway well you see because i think they knew they had to here, I was going to say, this is where I, I would push back a little bit. I don't think the NFL so much put themselves in the middle of a culture war as they recognized the culture war that they were going to be placed in, and then they took a side. They took a side. I think this they was, recognized this was, they but this was going make there. it go away. Right. Whereas but before, this, they tried to make it go away. Right. Now they they were, right. They were trying to paper over this, and I think they've, they've come to realize that as big as they are as a league, and they are the 800-pound gorilla of sports, they can still be a pawn. And they were going to be a pawn in this, whether they chose to be or not. So this time they just chose a different side. All right. Um, the NBA is coming back. Uh, we're going we're gonna to break down what this means for the Lakers. Uh, Mark Spears is coming up in about a half-hour senior NBA writer at the Undefeated. While Bow Wynn at 10-15, director of B Water. Next, though, Andy. It does it, – it, it's different. Like the reason the, the NFL did what it did in part, is in part because – Things feel different now. Why? We'll ask that question next. It's the Saturday morning happy hour with the Kamenetsky Brothers 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Saturday morning happy hour with the Cam Brothers. It was between the brothers, King. This is the Saturday morning happy hour on 710 ESPN. Kamenetsky Brothers, Saturday morning happy hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky with you till 11 o'clock. Mark Spears is going to join us at 10 o'clock. Senior NBA writer for the undefeated. Uh, Bao Win, the director of B Water, the new 30 for 30 about Bruce Lee at 10.15. Clinton Yates. We'll, we'll get back into this baseball thing with Clinton Yates. I don't know anybody really who likes baseball more than Clinton Yates. Oh, um, if you see, if you see Clinton on around the horn or different shows, his, his background wall is A, spectacular, but B, it's all baseball. It's all like baseball. It's all baseball decoration. Huge baseball guy. 
So he's a ten forty five, and we will uh, we'll, we'll talk we'll talk to him about what the hell it is that those guys are doing because it's not good. Um, so it, for this, the, the for people who like to say Andy that it's just sports, it's not real life. Separated from like this has been a big stretch of months for showing the significance of sports in our larger society because. Set aside for a moment, Andy, George Floyd. Go back to the pandemic. When did people, I think, really start to take seriously, really nationally take seriously, like, oh, bleep, we've got a thing here that, like, nationally we need. It's when Rudy Gobert tested positive in Oklahoma City. The NBA shuts down. MLS shuts down. Hockey shuts like. Sports come to a screeching halt. For a huge segment of the population, Andy, that was the thing, I think, that got people's attention. Now, fast forward, like, the NFL, um, other sports, you know, the NBA back in it, like, making huge changes in how we talk about police brutality, how we talk about social protest and social justice and things that are, if people follow through, have potential to have enormous impacts, if nothing else, on how we look at our leagues and how we look at our players and how we look at things. So, like these are two huge moments in sports as a as a mechanism for change. So when people say it's just sports, they are completely missing the point. Well, I mean, sports has always reflected culture. I mean, if you go back to the history of sports, you know, going back to the Olympics and you know the the purpose of them. In the beginning, in ancient times, so it's still like competition between countries as opposed to flat-out war. Like, there's always been that element of sports, you know, being a mirror of actual life. I'm just thinking of how, like, disastrous <laughs> it would be for America if we had to compete for, for like, the conquering of America. Like, if we lose Oof. these competitions, America, Oof. that's a terrible thing. That's a gonna... lot of pressure. I'd like to apologize in advance for uh, whatever Throw country. Throw that discus, my man, or we are being overrun yeah, by angry wh- hordes. Whatever country uh, eventually took over and annexed America, my apologies that I couldn't step up and uh, prevent it from happening. But I'm going to promise everybody that's a losing battle. But also, too, like when you look at athletes now and the way that they are empowered through social media and how many of them have their own production companies, how many of them frankly, don't need people like us to even get messaging out, you know, that they they have the ability to either work with their own companies, you know, partner up with people from Hollywood. Like there, there are all these different ways now because it's become expected for, for athletes to be able to have a voice. Like look at Andy, look at the, look at, I just, as an example, look at the, the boardroom, that show with, with uh, Kevin Durant in ESPN. Yeah. ESPN wants that show. They have to partner with KD. Absolutely. It's not the other way around. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, you and I do a podcast for The Athletic um, where we've been doing deep dives into sports movies. And about a month or so ago, we were talking with Dave McMenamin. And one of the things that I think is going to be different and I think better about LeBron James's Space Jam reboot that's coming out next year is just the idea that athletes would be taken more seriously in a space like this. And LeBron has so much more experience working in these type of mediums than Michael Jordan ever had. Like Michael Jordan doing Space Jam, it it seems quaint now, 
But back then, that was kind of a radical concept. Like the idea of an athlete being front and center starring in a major motion picture. Like that's not unusual now. Like it's it's not strange. And it, it's reflective of all the different avenues now that players not, have. Not since, not since Thunderstruck mainstreamed all that. <laughs> uh, you, you got your Uncle Drew. <laughs> you know, you got, you've got all this different stuff. There are like, a lot of really bad examples of that going, <laughs> things going very poorly with that. Idea. Sure. Sure. Right. Well, right. I, I think LeBron's going to turn the trend. I, I actually think Space Jam 2, granted, I don't think it's a high bar to clear, but I think actually Space Jam 2 is going to be significantly better than Space Jam. Are you trying to get McMenamin to call back in? I'd love it if McMenamin called back in. 877-710-ESPN, like McMenamin. No, nobody's got a better Space Jam is being slandered radar than our friend Dave McMenamin. But it just, it, it's, it, it just, I, I, I I hope it's not naive to say it, but like there, it feels like there is a legitimate difference now between what we're seeing as sort of a tipping point in, in people having to take a stance here. Uh, you know, like being Elsie uh, Granderson put this very well in his, our, our colleague, you know, we're, you know, from the morning show, uh, but writes for the LA Times. Like it's no longer enough to be against racism. Like, that's pretty easy. Like, it's a very low standard to clear. Like, I am against being racist. That kind of used to be the standard. Now the standard really is you have to go do something about it. You have to, mm-hmm. you have to be more than just being anti-racist. And I think that is, that's the atmosphere now that all these leagues are going to be working in. Yeah. It's, you, like you said, you have to take a stance now, but I think also too, it's starting to become more evident to people why they're taking that stance. And it's, it's yes. not like, it's not like, unfortunately, I mean, we've seen unarmed black men killed before by the police, but I think the sheer brutality of what happened to George Floyd, just the, the, the length of time that you watch this man slowly lose his life. Like it's, it's not, a gunshot. It's not something quick. You you see this and you can't get away from it in the same way George Floyd can't get away from this. And it builds and it builds and you start being able to picture what would be going through his mind. You see him calling out for help. You mm-hmm. see him calling out for his mother. And I think just the rawness of that combined with where we are in this country, dealing with this pandemic, dealing with an economic crisis, people being, you know, caught up in their own homes and dealing with their own anxiety and then seeing the anxiety of that. I think it all culminated in this place where you just want to see wrongs corrected and you don't want to sit by and accept wrongs anymore. And I, I think this was this situation with George Floyd. And look, we, we're not far removed from, again, other tragedies like that. But I think just this video was the tipping point because it was so drawn out and so horrible. And I think yeah. it really started yeah. to it started to speak to people why you need you need to be doing something. You need to be active. Uh, Mark Spears is going to join us in about 15 minutes, senior NBA writer uh, at, the, uh, at the Undefeated at ESPN. We'll talk to him about what we've seen in the NFL and what we're going to see in the NBA because Andy, um, it's coming back. 
Yeah. And the format, format looks pretty darn good for the Lakers. We'll explain why next. Uh, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky's Saturday Morning Happy Hour, 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Saturday Morning Happy Hour with the Cam Brothers. Unfortunately, he discovered too late that hermano in Spanish meant brother. Live and local on 710. Now Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. after Dr. Clapper. Oh, do you think so, doctor? This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. So, you know, Andy, you know, we do the internet thing, you know, the, the late night happy hour, weeknights, 10 to 11. Yeah. And I, 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 I people are watching, like people, yeah. like you can, we can see the metrics. People are watching. It's yeah. a lot of fun. We uh, appreciate it. But I don't know really who's paying attention from the actual radio station. But now, you know, all of a sudden you... You, you, uh, you put yourself up on the real radio and like over the airwaves and people in their cars and Big Brother is out there listening. And so we're getting texts during the break from Bergman. And of course, it's not like, you know, hey guys, uh, you know, a little tighter on the ins and the outs or whatever. He's, he's of course texting us to defend the quality of Space Jam. Oh my God. Um, we've, we have not offended him with the, with whether are we doing good radio, bad radio? I don't know, but he does not like our fiery Space Jam takes. Well, I mean, he he did concede. It's not Shawshank. <laughs> Space, Jam, Space Jam, you know, it's great. Don't get me wrong. Phenomenal movie, but it's not Shawshank great. Well, no, Space in Jam's the original, though, in the director's cut of Space Jam, Jordan does escape Monstar's land by digging through a, a hole with a poster of covered by Rita Hayworth. Like, that was the original. <laughs> that was how Look, they were going to do it. It just I mean, didn't test well. Yeah. All I would say for people who are who are going to destroy us, you know, on Twitter at Cam Brothers for this Space Jam take, I just ask you watch it again. Like, it's not a good film. watch it again because I, I I guarantee a lot of you people saying Space Jam is awesome. You haven't seen it in a while. You haven't seen it. That's all I can, can say. Go watch it. There was a lot of talk about whether or not the Last Dance was really uh, like an honest portrayal of Michael Jordan. Like, is this really, is, is it, is ESPN sticking up for him too much? Are they really telling us that you want to see a lie in action? Go watch Space Jam because Michael Jordan's teammates are awful in that film. <laughs> I mean, he's running around like, you know, Elmer Fudd can't dribble. I mean, Lola Bunny has got some skills. There's no question, but everyone else on that team sucks and there is a zero percent chance andy zero that michael jordan would have tolerated that we're talking about a guy who punched steve kerr who was pretty good at basketball during a practice he is not going to sit there and be like tweety bird it's okay we know you're trying your best so right oh, there, I, that's I, the big lie about michael he'd a cold cock daffy duck I, yes. I can promise you that yes so bergman <laughs> it's just it's not we are, oh, that's all i would say sellers yeah you know all that's, i would say like, just watch I hate, it I, I don't like those guys who get on the radio and say look man I, i'm gonna tell you the truth i'm gonna i'm never gonna lie to you i'm because right. that's not true i might lie to you <laughs> it's possible yeah. i might i might i might say things that aren't true because they're more entertaining sure it's not a good film Space no, Jam. it's not it's not it's not yeah, uh, the NBA. Uh, Mark Spears coming up in about ten minutes. We'll break down what's going on in the NBA, what's going on in the NFL. Um, but 
this this setup that they've got, Andy, where everyone's going back to Orlando, no goofy playoff structures or anything like that, and they get some what is it, eight games to get themselves kind of back into shape, get into the same kind of rhythm that hopefully they were when they beat the Bucks, beat the Clippers before the pandemic started. It's hard to come up with a setup that's better than this for the Lakers, other than just putting them in the finals for fun. Well, I mean, they get they get their tune-up games, the regular season games, but it would take like an act of a vengeful basketball god for them to somehow lose the one seed. I mean, it's almost mathematically impossible for the Lakers to not end up the top seed when this thing begins. So the only thing that could potentially make it not work out well for the Lakers is if, say, the, the Trailblazers, who will now have Yusef Nurkic and Zach Collins and really more of what they envisioned as their starting five, and this is a team that last year made it to the Western Conference Finals, if they manage to get that eighth seed because the odds don't work in their favor at all, that means Portland gelled really damn fast, mm-hmm. which makes them potentially the mother of all eight seeds. Because I'm going to say this right now. If you ask me intellectually, can I picture the Blazers upsetting the Lakers? The answer is no. I can't. Like, if you're asking me, just think about this from the perspective of rational basketball analysis, what I know about both teams. Do I think Portland can upset the Lakers? No. But if you're asking me, will I be scared to death in every single close game knowing Damian Lillard has the ball? The answer is, oh, God, yes. That guy yeah, is the be, scariest be player in the league in the fourth. You just like, no. yeah. If you could do that, then I think you feel okay. The, the thing about the Blazers that makes them weird is it wasn't that long ago that they were really good, like last year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they they're healthy now. Like they're going to have Nurkic back. They're going to have Zach Collins, and so that really shouldn't matter tons because they haven't also haven't played together. But it makes them more like what they were supposed to be anyway. Um, so that becomes dangerous. I mean, look, the, if they play a Western Conference team, even if they got um, Sacramento, that would mean that the Kings had to play. The Kings were playing really well right. before before things. Yeah, they were. And they've got De'Aaron Fox, and they've got uh, Bagley, and they've got they got a bunch of good young players, and you know, a team that that was starting to work pretty well. You know, New Orleans is. Uh, oh, that's a, the fun one. That is the it's fun one. It's fun. But that's a good team. Like, if they get in, they're playing well. And Memphis, John Morant and, ja- and Jaron Jackson, like, that team doesn't suck either. Like, there's no cakewalk first round for the Lakers, no matter how it shakes out. But they're, but the, but the format works in their favor because I, I think all these little things, like, no home court advantage. No, Lakers don't care if they get home court no. advantage. It's more, it's, it, it's better to them to take it away from someone else. Uh, than what they're giving up. LeBron can go play anywhere. He doesn't care. Um, you know, all of these little things, like no travel, I think helps LeBron because he's a little older. He can spend all of his time when he's not playing, taking care of his body. Like all this stuff just works in their favor in ways that I think Lakers fans should be excited about. We were talking last night on the late night happy hour with Tanya Ganguly, who covers the Lakers for the LA Times. And, and she, Mentioned something that I hadn't thought about, but I actually think is another advantage for the Lakers. The idea that this team is really, really connected. Like, they are a really close team. Like, this is not something that they just yep. put out as an image. I mean, we've 
covered a lot of teams. We know which ones get along. We know which ones that don't. This team genuinely gets along great. And I think something that that part of it, that element will be really useful dealing with a setup that A is bizarre, B is yes. unprecedented, and C means you will have to spend an inordinate, um, uh, an unusual it, it amount of time crazy amounts of together. Time. You are going yes. to be together constantly. Because so if you Disney are, World, if you're, if you're a team big. that Disney doesn't get along, you yeah. can't get away from each other. Yeah. No, if, if you're a team that doesn't necessarily relish the time that you spend together, this setup could start getting really old. Or if this yes. setup just starts getting weary, even if, even if you get along, just the idea that you have that type of connection right. as a team, I think will work really well for the Lakers. Because the, the pressure, like each team could be sort of given their own hotel and their own area. You are really going to be encouraged not to go. First of all, the, the schedule of games is going to be relentless. They're going to start, you know, if they start on the 31st, it's basically you play every other day until there are no more basketball games to be played. So if you're the Lakers and everything goes well, you play every day until the end of the final, every other day until the end of the final. So it's the only way they get this done. You know, maybe there's an extra day off here and there, but not many. And the pressure to stay inside your own bubble, whether it's the Disney World bubble generally, whether it's your team bubble, is going to be enormous. Because if you, the optics of going out and you, if you, if you come back and you, you got COVID somehow and now you can't play, like that's, it's, it's, dude, even if, even, even if you're healthy, you're personal, you feel fine, you didn't give it to, but just, where did you, why did you leave? Where did you go? You put your team at risk uh, and your team's ability to win risk. The social pressure to not go anywhere is going to be huge. Oh, I, I just, let's just say you managed to go to a club in Orlando without contracting COVID. Just being seen, because you know there will be TMZ people, you know there will be paparazzi out there just looking around well, and, for and NBA, NBA players. Exactly blend in. Right, and they're going to be looking around for NBA players who are out and about and just being seen as the guy willing to go to the club and no. risk contracting it. Let's just say you don't, you know, which is great. Hopefully that would be the case. But just being seen that way is a really bad look. And, you know, I have, I have my concerns about people on the team who might look to tunnel out. <laughs> Rhymes with Fluzma. <laughs> um, Perhaps. All right. Uh, NBA senior writer. It's a player with a lot of dread. I'll just say that. <laughs> Mark Spears <laughs> will join us next. We'll talk about what's going on in the NFL and obviously more about this NBA stuff. It's a Saturday morning happy hour. Kamenetsky Brothers ESPN.